If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the December 29th edition of IMRU. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio news magazine. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm John Dyer V. I'm Michelle Marie Gilkison. And I'm Steve Pride. Tonight, my annual look at the best of LGBT film in 2014. Part two of my talk with Jaden Hathaway... And a bonus reading from our visit with Sam Harris at the beginning of the year. And we'll chat about the past and the future of this 40-year-old radio news magazine. And now the conclusion of John's interview with Jaden Hathaway. My friend Jaden Hathaway, a 24-year-old transgender male, has always loved sports during the good times and the bad times. My friend Jaden Hathaway, a 24-year-old transgender male, has always loved sports during the good times and the bad times. My friend Jaden Hathaway, a 24-year-old transgender male, has always loved sports during the good times and the bad times. My friend Jaden Hathaway, a 24-year-old transgender male, has always loved sports during the good times and the bad times. I was in high school and I played softball for eight plus years. That was my go-to. That was my heart and soul. And for a very long time, I was able to detach myself from what softball meant, meaning girls baseball, into just playing the sport. And so for a long time, I was the only person who was there to play the sport. And when it got to my senior year, I had this anxiety of now I know I'm male. I don't know if me knowing now that I'm male can physically play a girl sport because it's reminding me that I'm not male. And I made a very hard decision my senior year to not play. It was the only thing I had that was mine. Do you think that was the right decision, looking back? Yeah, because I gave up a part of me to find out who I really was. Unfortunately, it comes up in life more than once. That was probably one of the defining moments of when I made the decision of, I'm going to transition. I still love softball. It's still a very deep part of my heart, and not having it my senior year, yeah, I gave it up. But I was able to explore my gender identity and what that meant for me. I gained mental peace, which was a huge thing back then. You know, they went to state and they got jackets and patches and I'm like, oh, that could have been me. But uh, I gained something that people try their whole lives to understand. And I did that at such an early age. Normal people, (laughs) whatever normal is, they don't think about their gender. So it was like a toxin. It was a poison that depression. Sports gave me an opportunity to focus on something that wasn't me. 
I'm not afraid to get back into it. And, you know, I jogged the other day for the first time and it felt immaculate. I can start living my life as a person, <laughs> not as someone who's being dragged down every second of the day. One other thing we haven't touched on, your family heritage. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Mexican-American. but Specifically like the machismo thing. I was never immersed in the culture of either side of my family. I feel very whitewashed, <laughs> so to speak. I don't really touch on a lot of my Mexican heritage, but I know it's there. And I had cousins who were older than me, who from very early on, who were like, I support you in absolutely anything that you do. I had an aunt who was the first of the adults <laughs> of my aunts and uncles that I told. And they were very, very supportive instantly. Even to the point where my uncle even sent me a private message. I know I call you this nickname. Do you want me to stop? You know, I felt so touched that I almost didn't want him to. Other than my chest, my birth name gives me a lot of dysphoria. It makes me so uncomfortable because that's not who I am. Once, so clearly it's not Jaden. Yeah, yeah. So Jaden is definitely the name that I picked for myself. And, you know, it feels so right to me. That's it. It's hard on other people. But for me, when my uncle had told me that, I was like, the fact that you're willing to do that shows so much more than my insecurities about it. You can call me whatever you want. It's not that I need my parents to call me Jaden and use male pronouns, it would be nice for them to recognize me as the person that I am instead of just calling me Jay. I always know that it's not just me that's transitioning, it's my family's transitioning too. And now that I feel like there's more physical things happening, they're starting to realize things and they're getting better on hormones. And I, you know, I don't expect it to happen overnight. It's been a few years, but everyone's constantly changing and everyone's going to be handling it their own way. And thankfully, nothing has been violent. <laughs> I remember you told me about your brother's initial reaction. Oh, yeah. After the whole storm had kind of passed and, you know, I went into my room and I barely closed the door and there was a knock on my door. I'm like, oh, now what? What more do you need to tell me? <laughs> it was my brother. And as soon as I opened the door, he just gave me this biggest hug and was like, I love you, bro. And that was it. He's been my number one supporter since day one. He's told me, you've always been like my older brother, so it's no big difference to me. This is at a time when I was 18, so he was, what, 12, 11? Coming from someone who's so young who understands that was so mind-boggling to me. I'm like, how does this kid understand it more than these adults do? He hasn't learned all of those mind blocks, ignorance, I guess, maybe, or arrogance. But the fact that he was so open to it and maybe that he saw that I needed it. Whatever that may be, you know, it doesn't matter. He's always been at my side, so I know that even when the world ends, I'll still have my brother. <laughs> you say ignorance or arrogance or fear. Or fear, yeah, definitely. And who wouldn't be terrified if their kid came to them with something like this, especially not knowing anything about it? And I, I tried to give my parents information, things that they could look up. I don't know if they did or not. We don't have that kind of relationship, but we have a relationship where we can talk to each other. Now that I'm adult, we can <laughs> talk to each other in this more civilized kind of manner. Definitely transitioning has made me grow up the right way. I think you're describing some pretty typical parent-child yeah. dynamics. It's a transition for them, too, and I know it's going to be hard. I can wait. My parents aren't really going anywhere. What does the future hold? Getting a hysterectomy, getting rid of the inside female organs. And I was very lucky, if you can call it that, 
when I did start having periods that I didn't have them often. There's something wrong there, but I have a polycystic ovaries. So for most of my life, I never really had them. And then if and when I did, I'd handle the storm when it came. But I probably went a good four years without having one. And that's kind of scary. I took it as this is my body's way of telling me that this is not supposed to be happening, so it's not happening. My body was kind of self-transitioning as I was. And then maybe I'll get a chest revision eventually. Revision? Sometimes it doesn't heal properly or the scars are kind of wonky. It depends and you can't really make that kind of decision, especially so close to having the surgery. Some people wait two, three years. I'm not really worried about that one. My insurance will cover that. So that's another fairly cheap surgery for me. (laughs) You're constantly changing every day, even if you're not transgender. You're always changing as a person every day. But now that there's this aspect to it, now there's even more changes that are happening on a constant level. So it's everything so fluid. And it's kind of a terrifyingly wonderful thing. (laughs) The future definitely scares me, but I'm very excited to see where my adventure is going to be leading me. I'm in such a better spot now than I was when I was 16. It got very dark for a while, you know, with the suicide attempt and everything. When I was 16, I didn't think I'd make it to 18. But the fact that I'm here almost 24, I'm like, I made it. Did you almost not with that attempt? Um, I actually have my brother to thank for that yet again. I was sitting on the bottom of the pool and my brother who was a kid, you know, he was only like five or six maybe at the time. And it was like, he wants to swim too. And he happened to just jump and he jumped right on top of me, you know, just to play. Being a swimmer, I always did breathing exercises. I always spent a lot of time underwater. So there was never anything out of the ordinary in that particular situation. But when he jumped on top of me and was like, you want to play shark? And I looked at him, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to leave you. You're making me realize that there are reasons to be here. And there's so many things that have happened since then that I don't even know who that person is anymore. Do you have any ideas of where you want to be apart from the surgeries (laughs) Um, in the future? Just happy, I think, because I spent so long unhappy that I'm starting to realize what happy is. So I'm excited to live life without that cloud now. From this vantage point, is there anything you would have to say to folks out there I don't want to be as cliche as listen to your heart, but listen to what your soul is telling you. How do you really feel? Do you really feel like you were born in the wrong body? Sometimes people think it's a trend. There are some points where you just know. You told me your aunt said when you came mm-hmm. out to the whole family, she said, like, what else is new? I, I knew this Yeah, already. you know, and, it, and it's weird when other people know before you do. And you're just like, well, a little heads up would have been nice. <laughs> you should have told me. <laughs> it would have made this process so much easier. Because, you know, half the fear and half the stress is telling people and how are they going to feel about it. Definitely do it for you. Fortunately and unfortunately, transitioning is very selfish. But it has to be about you. And that's a very hard thing to do for a lot of people. I'm a very giving person. I like to make sure that everyone else is comfortable around me, but it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I include myself in that. I had to fight with my demons. I'm still fighting with my demons every day, but they get a little easier and it does get better. Well, you've clearly come a long way, so I applaud you for that. No, thank you. (laughs) I'm like literally back at square one, but my life is my own. It's more of a universal than I would have thought. We're still people. It probably makes you more human, I feel, because you're building structures. Did you keep any kind of diary? 
instead of just writing it down, I did something about it. Well, we really appreciate you sharing with us now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to do it now. It was very interesting for me to see what kind of male privilege will come about later in life when I'm older and not still just a young adult. It's a wild ride. I'm John Dyer V, and this concludes my two-part conversation with Jaden Hathaway. The way I see it, it's not all about the drama, so I find Jaden Hathaway to be a 21st century trans. That's interesting. It was a really nice story. I really like him. Oh, me too. You know, um, Frontiers is claiming this is the trans year, the trans have reached, that transgender has reached a tipping point, as it were. Janet yeah. Mock and Laverne Cox. But I think there's trans within every one of us, personally. And maybe we don't all fit into little boxes. It's, it's more fluid. Well, Sam Harris, multi-million selling recording artist, Tony nominee, and author, was on the show in January, and we ran out of time before we could do a reading from his book, Ham Slices of a Life. Although we promised him, so he did one after the show, and this is our very last chance to do it on air in 2014 mm. without much shame. How the world can change, it can change like that, due to one little word, married. Naturally, like at any wedding, all the attention should be paid to the bride and groom, so I... Tried, I tried, I tried, 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 tried not to stare at Michael Jackson, but I just couldn't not. He was wearing a rigorously tailored black suit, festooned with velvet and sequined piping, and a darling Peter Pan collar centered with a diamond brooch. His hair was flat-ironed into a flirty Marlowe Thomas flip. His face couldn't have been whiter if he'd been an Irishman locked in a windowless basement his entire life. I'd met Michael on several previous occasions since the mid-80s, and he'd become less and less human each time, not only in appearance, but in manner, his very person. The man was on his own planet, Michael Planet. His eyes, darkly lined in black, remained closed throughout the service, and his head bobbed and wobbled from side to side to the rhythm of a music no one else could hear. Occasionally, he would titter to himself at an internal joke, showing his teeth just a shade less white than his face, and raise his shoulders like a five-year-old girl who just said the word penis for the first time. On the other side of the altar sat Elizabeth Taylor. She was wearing an ensemble that made me think she'd looked in her closet that morning and said, What shall I wear? Everything! But she was still Liz Taylor, and somehow it worked on her, down to the veiled, black, tooled, and feathered hat set slightly askew on her head. Or was she tilting to one side? I'd also met Elizabeth on many occasions since the 80s, and I truly adored and admired her as an actor, humanitarian, and one of the great purveyors of nasty, nasty, dirty jokes. But she was clearly exhausted from the trauma of the shoe ordeal, and when the priest requested we lower our heads in prayer, she did. And she never came back up. She never came back up.
Mr. Sam Harris. Campo Delico. <laughs> I loved him having back. him in the studio. He was so fun to have here. I'm old enough that I actually remember watching him for the first time on Star, Shop, Star Search back in the 80s. Right. A friend of mine from um, Orlando was on that first Star Search um, with the, his band. And so I watched every night, and I became very enchanted by this obviously little gay man in a tuxedo <laughs> singing Over the Rainbow. But who knew he could write like the author of Anti-Mame? Yeah, very much. Well, I saw him in a one-man show a long time ago, and he is so incredibly versatile. Oh, I mean, yeah. it was hilarious and touching. It was really an interesting show. Any so it dream great. will do. Yes. I just realized that I wasn't invited to that wedding. Were you? <laughs> Um, I was out of town, so I couldn't, I had to decline I didn't want to brag about it, y'all. Well, speaking of special events, every year I do a special edition of This Way Out, looking at the best stuff on screens, both big and small. Since they borrow from us all the time, tonight we'll borrow from them. Mm-hmm. So here's Pride on Screen 2014. <laughs> Hello, I'm Steve Pride. Welcome to the annual Pride on Screen edition of This Way Out. Sit back, relax, and butter your popcorn while we examine the best LGBT images on screens both big and small for the year 2014. I guess you'd figure that after four years living in the city I would have been to a gay bar, but... Oh, you straight? No, not straight, just not gay, you know? I don't really know the scene. Jesus, why are we even wasting time with all this? Mark! They will call us back! It has nothing to do with the fact that we're puffs. And a dive. They will call us back. End of meeting. What are your terms for release? Well, I want them to deliver my wife here from Kings County Hospital. Uh, his name is Ernest Aaron. It's a guy. I'm gay. You guys new in the neighborhood? Are you kidding? There was a famous sip-in right here in this bar to challenge the New York State regulation that prohibited bars from serving homosexuals. Yeah, we have a clipping from the New York Times framed here somewhere. 1966. Me and four other guys, we came in here accompanied by five reporters. When we were denied service, we denounced the state liquor authority. Oh my God. So what were the best LGBT stories on screens this year in a world where our choice of screens can range from a cell phone to IMAX 3D, let's start online. In 2014, the quality and quantity of episodic, independently produced web series exploded. Living in L.A., almost every friend has an Indiegogo campaign for their online opus. My favorite, now in its third season, is Old Dogs and New Tricks, about four West Hollywood gay men nervously approaching middle age. Muscles is, as we speak, flying to Ohio. Ross is still in seclusion, and Brad and I are still not talking. For those who haven't seen Old Dogs and New Tricks, who are these men and how do we get to season three? How do I recap two seasons in 30 seconds? Writer and star, Leon Accord. Four old guys, 40-ish to 50-ish. 
My character Nathan fell for a 25-year-old guy who broke his heart. The character Ross, played by David Pevsner, is a struggling actor who was a big star in the 90s on TV and made the mistake of suing Aaron Spelling and has been washed up ever since. Muscles, played by Jeffrey Patrick Olsen, is a personal trainer who looks like a mm. porn star but acts like a uh, 16-year-old Jewish-American princess. He's not putting out. He actually just broke up with his boyfriend when we last saw him. And mm -hmm. the fourth character, Brad, played by Kurt Bonham, is a uh, 80s one-hit wonder who is known for um, his endowments, shall we say, and has made a life exploring that. But there's no denying the continuing impact of studio products like Orange is the New Black on Netflix or the Amazon series Transparent. I'm sorry. I... I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. I'm just trying. Can you just help me out here? Are you saying that you're going to start dressing up like a lady all the time? <laughs> all my life, my whole life, I've been dressing up like a man. This is me. On television, the biggest news of 2014 was that after nearly 30 years, Larry Kramer's The Normal Heart found its way to film via HBO. You can't go on national TV and accuse the government of murder, Ned. Why not? Because one day we're gonna get money, research, grants. Congress still hasn't appropriated a dime. The master on and on. Ned, when you go public, you have no right to speak for this organization unless we have approved what you have to say in advance. You know, in point of fact, you aren't even an officer of this organization and you shouldn't be speaking for us at all. Well, thank you for sharing that with me, Dick. Meanwhile, the ABC series How to Get Away with Murder put gay sex acts on screen and the gay sexual innuendo on Scandal, also on ABC, was anything but subtle. It's not that complicated, Cyrus. You either go home alone and try your own hand at quenching that thirst or go upstairs, me, and replace that dry lump in your throat with something much more satisfying. But it was a show on basic cable that consistently delivered the best message of inclusion. An ABC Family Network domestic drama about a different family with two moms and five kids that wasn't so different. It's called The Fosters. Mr. Stevens, do you think it's appropriate to spank a 13-year-old boy? I think it's none of your damn business. And quite frankly, this is all your fault. My fault? Yeah, you were the chaperone on a seventh grade camping trip and allowed our sons to spend a night in a tent together without my permission. Why is that a problem? Because her son is gay, which I have no problem with. Clearly you do. Really? Would you allow a boy and a girl and to share way, a tent together? No, you wouldn't. And by the way, his sexuality in any way. Actor Peter Page, beloved for playing the flamboyant Emmett Honeycutt on Queer as Folk, with his friend Bradley Bredewig, is both co-creator and co-executive producer. So we sort of talked about, well, what would our family drama be? And we're both gay men, and we, you know, so we thought we would probably want to do something, you know, in an alternative family. We talked about doing two dads, maybe I would act in it, but that really was being handled quite well on other shows mm -hmm. at the time. And then we sort of went, wow, there has not been a show that had sort of two moms at the center of it. And that just seems crazy, because I don't know any lesbian couples that don't have kids or aren't trying. Like, I don't know one. So then it seemed like two moms, that was really exciting. And then the question becomes, how did these two moms create this family? We decided to cram it all into one show. Biological, <laughs> adopted, and foster. When did you know you were gay? <sighs> what, do you, what do you mean? There's this, this girl at school, Maddie. And Connor wanted to go out with her. 
And I got all kind of jealous, I guess. Okay, that happens. But I don't think I'm jealous about Maddie. Oh, honey. That's... That's totally normal. What? Not normal, that's not what I mean. You know, let's, let's not use the word normal at all. Uh, honey, everybody gets jealous when their friend gets a boyfriend or girlfriend. Everybody. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gay or that you're not. And if you are or you're not, it really doesn't matter to us either way. We love you no matter what, because you're you. I know. So what's the big picture on the big screen? The best examples of LGBT film at a theater near you in 2014. Everyone's list is different, but for me, it begins with number 10, Tom at the Farm. I'm Xavier Dolan. I'm a Quebecois Canadian filmmaker and actor and producer. It's in French, so we'll forego a clip. But it's about a grieving man meeting his lover's family who are not aware of the son's sexual orientation. Well, maybe his tormenting, straightish, hot older brother was aware. But what happens on the farm stays on the farm. It's a hostage movie, you know, it's a Stockholm Syndrome movie about transfer and substitution, people replacing the dead with the living in order to grieve mutually. There's a guilt thing in this where Tom allows someone who reminds him of his boyfriend to punish him. Nine. Getting Go. I'm Corey Kirkenberg. I'm the director of The Go Doc Project. The film is about a young guy in New York City who's graduating from college, trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life, and he becomes obsessed with a nightlife personality that he sort of spies on online. And the film is about him trying to get to know the guy through the idea of making a documentary about him. So, uh, what's this project about? Uh, Well, it's still in its infancy right now. I'm kind of just sussing out the direction that I want to take it. I thought you said it was about go-go dancing. Yeah, potentially. I don't know if you want your image attached to, to something, your long-lost family out in the Midwest knowing what you do California. Here. Okay, California. I don't know if you want them knowing what you do here to get by. So if you can't, then it's... It's okay. Count me in. Um, wow. Confession. Getting Go did not have a theatrical release. But after countless film festivals, it was released on DVD and VOD this year. Eight. Lyle. Lyle, honey. Come here, Lyle, honey. It's not something you'll find in any of the Victorians. There's one there in the master bedroom, too. And this one is your classic marble. This is the two-bedroom? Yep. Like I said, you guys are lucky, new to town and lucky. So how did you even find out about this place? Hey, Lyle, Lyle, come over here with mommy, okay? Hey, little sweetheart. I'm Stuart Thorndike, and I directed Lyle. So Lyle is about a couple who moves into their dream home and tragedy strikes when their baby dies. It's really just the lead character, Leah, Gabby Hoffman plays Leah, her dealing with the grief. And it starts to turn to paranoia 
and horror and there's a cast of suspicious characters in this house. Like Getting Go, Lyle also did not have a theatrical release. But after a short award-winning run at major U.S. film festivals, Stewart released it free online for much of the year. Seven. Stranger by the Lake. Since it's our second film in French and there's more sex than dialogue, we'll forego a clip for this one as well. And the plot of this complex and graphic psychological film is simple, at least according to writer-director Alain Jordi. There's a man who sees another man drawn another man, so, and he falls in love with him, and at the end, we wonder if the other man will kill him. Six. The dog. All in all, August 22nd, 1972 was a summer day just like any other summer day. Hot, humid, close, with everyone trying to get a bit of relief from the oppressive heat and humidity. And then it happened. At 2.58 p.m. that afternoon, two men entered a bank in Brooklyn and began what turned out to be the most sensational, most bizarre, most unbelievable bank robbery in the history of crime. I'm Frank Rodron, one of the two directors of the documentary The Dog. The Dog is about a man called John Wadowitz who uh, attempted to rob a bank in Brooklyn in 1972 to pay for his lover's sex change operation. And that story, if it sounds familiar, it's because it became Sidney Lumet's Dog Day Afternoon with Al Pacino. You know something, people? You're going to be remembered the rest of your lives for the day you got held up and kidnapped. We made history here. Al Pacino. Dog Day Afternoon. A true story. And our film, The Dog, is the story of the real-life bank robber. All right, fellas, you gotta move back. A more visible bank robber is 27-year-old John Wojtowicz, an out-of-work New York City resident and an admitted homosexual who left his wife and two children three years ago. We're almost halfway there, so don't go away. There's a lot more after this important message. Vito Russo and the Flicks, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Author and gay activist Vito Russo was born in 1946 and later studied cinema at New York University. In 1970, he staged the first ever gay film festival to raise money for the Gay Activist Alliance. His life's work was an analysis of gay portrayals in Hollywood movies of the past. In a hundred years of movies, homosexuality has only rarely been depicted on the screen, he said. When it did appear, it was there as something to laugh at or something to pity or even something to fear. In the 1970s, he gave lectures all across America, asserting that these gay stereotypes in movies have perpetuated the oppression of gay people. In 1981, Rousseau's groundbreaking book, The Celluloid Closet, showcased his work. In 1996, it became a movie narrated by out-actress Lily Tama. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, John Porter. You are listening to IMRU Radio Magazine on KPFK-FM, 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 99.5 Ridgecrest China Lake, 93.7 San Diego, or streaming online at kpfk.org. The time is now 7.32. Welcome back. I'm Steve Pride, and we're talking about the best LGBT films of 2014. Next up... Five. The imitation game. What's the matter? What if I don't fancy being 
with Joan in, in that way. Because you're a homosexual? I suspected. Should, should I tell her? You know, in my admittedly limited experience, women tend to be a bit touchy about accidentally marrying homosexuals. Perhaps not spreading this information about might be in your best interest. I care for her, I truly do. I just don't know if I can uh, pretend. About... You can't tell anyone, Alan. It's illegal. A film about Alan Turing, the codebreaker who helped the Allies win World War II, is long overdue, and this one is very well done. So in case you're wondering, what keeps it from appearing higher on my list is not how little attention is given to his homosexuality, but the film's fabrication of a black male scenario, in which Turing technically commits treason by protecting a spy. The Soviets and us were on the same side. What I'm doing will help Britain. I have to tell Deniston. No, you don't. Because if you tell him my secret, I'll tell him yours. Do you know what they do to homosexuals? You'll never be able to work again, never be able to teach your precious machine. I doubt you'll ever see him again. A slanderous fiction that harkens back to 1962's ill-advised advise and consent. Four. Pride. The true story of UK gay activists working to help coal miners during the lengthy strike of the National Union of Mine Workers in the summer of 1984. Some of you know me. My name is Mark Ashton. Call me. <laughs> I'm going to invite somebody onto the stage now who wants to talk to you. And I want you to listen to him. He comes from the Delice Valley in South Wales. And he, um, well, he's a striking miner. And he has something he wants to say to you. I've had, a, I've had a lot of new experiences during the strike, um, speaking in public, standing on a picket line, and now I'm in a, a gay bar. Well, if you don't like it, you can go home. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I do like it. <laughs> Beer's a bit expensive, mine. <laughs> but really, there's only one difference between this and a bar in South Wales. The women, they're a lot more feminine than you. <laughs> and director Matthew Warchus thinks the best thing about his film is... It's so honest, it's not overly romantic. It kind of behoves us all to think big and to dare to do something on any level, anything that we care about, uh, even if the reality is defeat or inconclusive uh, or progress seems limited. Uh, it's these small steps. It's a very human story. It's, it's really a small story. It's about small things making a difference. And it's not about grandeur or glamour or heroism. And I think that's an important message. Three. The Circle. Or dear Christ. Sprechen die Männer von Treue. Lächle ich nur vor mich hin. 
The Circle, or Der Kreis, was the only gay organization in Europe to survive the Nazi period, and it became a model for similar organizations in other countries, even the U.S. Both as an organization and a magazine, it predated anything happening here. My name is Stefan Haupt. I'm the director of this film, The Circle. Our film tells the story of The Circle, which was a clandestine organization of gay men in Zurich that had a magazine and that uh, started the magazine in 1942 and it ended in 1967. And then it's also the love story of two men from Zurich, Rebi Rapp and Ernst Ostertag, and it's the story how they met in the circle and how they fell in love and had a, a life together now and they were the first couple to get married in Switzerland in 2003. What do you hope the audience takes away from this film? Es geht um Liebe, which means it's all about love. The main subject that we share is love, and our desire to love, our desire to be loved, and this is what unites us. So my big aim was that this film is working towards uniting all people, all of us that are of the same flesh, you could say, and get rid of this thing of uh, divide the people into this minority and this minority and the other majority, and whether it be sexual orientation or color of your skin or whatsoever, or belief or whatsoever, to work toward accepting us in different ways, but I hope the film opens up the eyes for this when you watch it. Two. Love is Strange. My name is Iris Sachs, and I'm the co-writer and director of Love is Strange. Love is Strange is a film about two men played by John Lithgow and Alfred Molina who are in a relationship for 38 years. They get married at the beginning of the film, and as a result, one of them loses their job. They both lose their apartment, and they have to temporarily separate, moving into separate homes. Now, we invited you all here today because, well, your family. Are you telling us you're getting divorced already? That's what I thought, too. No. We, uh, we have to sell the apartment. And we found a buyer already. So pretty soon, we're going to have to move out. Now, it, it won't be long before I get another job. And it uh, shouldn't be long before we find another apartment. But in the meantime... It's just a transition phase, probably just... A week or two. We need a place to stay. One moves in with the two gay cops who live downstairs, and the other with his nephew and wife in Brooklyn. And the film is really about this relationship between Lithgow and Melina, and these two men have been together for so long, and how they counter this obstacle. But it's also about love and the multi-generations and how we look at love from different points in our life. What inspired this movie? I, in my 40s felt ready for love, and I think for many different reasons. All my recent films, all my life really previously, love to me had been a steady road downward. <laughs> As a gay person, I think I'm not unique, and I, I think we're not unique, in that it took me a long time to like myself. I came out of the closet when I was 16, but I just started creating a lot of other secrets. And secrecy was a real part of how I lived my intimate life. At 40, everything changed, and I really became, for the first time, an honest person trying to reveal as much of myself, not a, as little. And I think, in a way, I became ready to love in a different kind of way than I had before. One. 
Test. I'm Chris Mason Johnson. I'm the writer-director of Test. It takes place in San Francisco in 1985. A modern dance company is the setting. And the protagonist, Frankie, is a young dancer in a dance company. It's really contemporary ballet. And it's the early years of the AIDS epidemic before, I think it was even perceived as an epidemic, before there was a test. So the film focuses on these very, very young men who are afraid. So that's one of the plot lines, just dealing with this sort of ominous background noise of this thing that's looming. And the other is the dance story, which is a young male dancer's story, trying to make it, trying to fit in. Is it really confidential? We've put a system into place where we keep two separate files. One file is going to have all your medical information and history. And the other file is just going to be the test and a series of numbers that's completely anonymous. If any situation were to ever arise, government agency, employer, insurance company ever wanted to pull that information, has no attachment to you or your history. There's been a lot of misinformation. I want you to know that no matter what, I am never going to let that information be released, no matter what. And how long for the results? Two weeks. I want to do it. Okay. What do you hope audiences take away from the film? I was really worried at a sort of vulnerable level about this because a lot of this is autobiographical. And I was really afraid people wouldn't take this story seriously. I wasn't a hero. I wasn't a martyr. You know, I didn't spend long hours at hospice helping people. I didn't die. And there's a lot of survivor's guilt. So I was just one of the people who turned out okay. And I thought people might turn on that story, might be angry. So it was very deeply personally rewarding to see this film received and Frankie, the character, taken seriously. Like, this guy's experience matters. Because honestly, I didn't think my experience mattered. That's me. For young people, the response I've gotten, people 20-somethings and students I teach at Amherst College, where I'm a visiting lecturer in film, they are just like, thank you. I didn't know anything about that era. I had no idea. You know, for them, condoms have always been around for, for gays, you know. And older people who lived through it, obviously a strong identification and validation of that. As always, this was a highly personal selection. These are the movies that touched, excited, challenged, and haunted me the most in 2014. Ten. Tom at the Farm. Nine. Getting Go. Eight. Lyle. Seven. Strangers by the Lake. Six. The Dog. Five. The Imitation Game. Four. Pride. Three. The Circle. Two. Love is Strange. One. Test. Overall, 2014 was a great year for seeing ourselves and our stories on screen. For This Way Out, I'm Steve Pride. Thanks for listening.
what about that love story between Flash and Arrow? We didn't touch on that one. On TV? Which I, I have no that. idea. Those are comic book oriented shows oh, on see, TV that are yeah, big hits. Yeah, by a on gay the show we're in are very <laughs> sophisticated people. We watch mostly PBS, don't we, dear? Yes. Sure. Yes. Whatever y'all have to say about it. Well, I absolutely loved the movie Lyle. Did you guys see that one? Yeah, no. it was on my list. I know it was. I know you saw it. John, super creepy. Gaby Hoffman is amazing. She's always good. She's the one from Girls. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. And Transparent. But is there dance? Not in that one, but no. in Test. Awesome movie. My yeah. favorite. Amazing dancing, amazing acting, amazing I am writing. really pushing Test in some of the organizations in which I'm a member. They give awards. I'm pushing for that one. It didn't get a lot of buzz. It came yeah. out very quietly back in June. But it's been on my radar for several years at festivals. And I just think it's so amazing. Yeah. Having lived through that, it got everything right on a tiny budget. Everything was so perfect about the 80s. Mm-hmm. Even when he got the Walkman, cassette Walkman, yes. and put it on, and he started playing the soundtrack of his life, basically, because we all did that. We had our theme song that we would play. And the dan- he was a dancer, so he was an amazing dancer. Yes. Brilliant dancing, brilliant choreography in that film. We should ask him to audition for the IMRU dancers. I would love for him to join us in next year's Pride Parade. We'll see. I mean, we don't want to make him think he has an end, but... <laughs> Sounds like a plum We might hold auditions. But, you know, something I want to get to. Um, last week, we, we had the play Secret Santa by Celebration Theater, and it bothered me that the main character was just aghast. He'd been given a book of poetry by Mark Doty. Now, Mark Doty is a friend of mine, and he lives in New York, and I actually just saw him this fall, and he's brilliant. So in honor of what we did last week, I want to go right now to a poem by Mark Doty that I think is my all-time favorite. It's called Shelter. This poem is set in the animal shelter in Brewster, Massachusetts, near where I live in Provincetown. They shove and tumble around us on the concrete floor, the little ones, just as they must have crowded around the gates of this world, eager to live, so much to be licked on earth. What work? All mouth, sure of their reception, they've hurried to a realm they know will feed them, and they open their new faces to us, tongues and teeth apprehending our sweetness and pity, smells and salts. This is here, the minds register. Yes, and this, and this is good. The older ones, each in their separate pens, Consider what's to be made of betrayal. This one's serenely still, waiting for us to make the first gesture. This all-evident eagerness, muzzle against the grid. The one who's been here longest cries, though not to us. And that one, unclaimed, blank placard above her cage, simply sleeps in a far corner, unavailable rode under the Hellgate inscriptions. Too big, no time, moving to another state. They've lost local habitations, and some of them names, though most carry forward a single word. Bosco, Laredo, Jack, all of the past they're allowed to keep in this vague limbo far from affections, locations, and routines. I know, leashed to no one, the plain daily habits gone, 
Who are we then? Nothing but eagerness, or caution, though only a little. Couldn't these various distances dissolve at a touch, a dozen touches? Not to be forgotten, the blank hours, but put in place. Oh, Dakota and Brandy and Jimbo, just as we wanted to be born once, don't we want to be delivered again, even knowing the nothing love may come to? Oh, Lucky and Buddy and Red, we put our tongues to the world. Mark Doty. I Lingual. love Mark Doty. He's I one of my him. favorites, all-time favorite poets. I'm a dog person, and that just makes me weep. Yes. With the undercurrent of sexy. What are you on tonight? <laughs> Mark Lingual has a lovely voice. That's all I'm saying. He's a very nice guy. He's the blue okay, eyes, he's too. Nice. Okay. We're, we're, again, we are PBS people are, right yes, here. Okay. We are PBS yes. people. I'm, you know, mainstream TV. But I know what's wrong with you tonight, though. We haven't even brought up the obvious elephant in the room. Not not the elephant that's over there in the what's corner. That? That's interesting. I'm not sure about that. But you are a married man tonight. Freshly. Straight out of Vegas. Thank you. Classy. <laughs> Vegas. How was that? What kind of wedding? When you've been married by dueling Elvises, you have a different perspective on life itself. Oh, my, my. What about you? What has this year been for you, Michelle Marie? What was your highlight? Well, one of my highlights with the group here, the IMRU Collective, was definitely the Pride Parade. I thought that was an amazing way to celebrate our 40 years of doing this radio show. And it was finally a great chance for the whole community to see the IMRU dancers because they get they get so <laughs> yeah. little recognition for the backup dancing here in the studio that they've done tonight or But it's any also night. a new beginning. I felt like I was at the birth of something because it's well, that to was, me just starting. Yeah, that was around the time that you were joining, so you got yep. right in there. Yeah. Well, for me, I think it's been every every day with you guys. It's been terrific this year. Well, it's fun to share a trust with people sort of live on We've the had air. some amazing guests, Sam Harris. We've had Cheyenne Jackson. Armstrong Moffin's been on. We've had some amazing, amazing Very guests blessed. this year. And there have been a lot of achievements in politics and in this country. And next year will be even better. You bet. But right now, I think I want to do something a little more New Year's eve uh, Could I give you a taste of what are you doing New Year's Eve from out musician Rufus Wainwright? Yeah. 
does it for us until 2015. Our thanks to tonight's board operator, Jose Benavides, coordinating producer Steve Pride, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. If you have comments or story suggestions, tweet us or follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio or contact us directly via email at IMRU Radio at IMRURadio.org. I just took a pattern there. <laughs> IMRU is simulcast and available on demand at kpfk.org. It's also posted to the IMRU Radio Facebook page by noon, noonish, really, every Tuesday. <laughs> Coming up next is Flip the Script. We're going to close with a song from out musician Daniel Cartier. It's called Auld Lang Syne, and we'll see you next year. Happy New Year, y'all. Good night. Good acquaintance be forgotten and never brought to mind should all acquaintance be forgotten and
Oh 